and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and my wonderful wife will be joining me shortly. Um, today, we are super excited to have CC, also known as Carolyn, um, Blakeman on our show. She is going to be discussing the former Feds group, and that name is an interesting name in itself. It's exactly what it says it is, and here is my wonderful wife joining us here. Um, former Feds group is exactly what it says, and CC will be um, giving us more information on where that name comes from. But she's going to be talking about the former Feds group, the COVID nineteen projects. There's a lo- they've got many many projects going on, basically fighting for medical freedom. And as we talk about medical freedom, do not forget that uh, we are hosting a medical freedom conference in Spokane, Washington, on September thirtieth. And you do not want to miss it. So check out our webpage, mlrx.com, for more information so you can register. Space is limited, so you want to sign up as soon as possible. So, um, Cece, welcome to our show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes, and thanks for being on. This is my wife, Janet. Hi. Hi. And tell us a little bit about your backstory. I said just a little bit during the intro, but, uh, you know, uh, tell us about your history and former Feds group. Well, former Feds group is named after um, our founder. He's a former federal prosecutor of 21 years. And he got out of government because he saw the corruption firsthand and said, I'm not going along with this. I'm going to get out and fight it. So he's represented um, January 6th political prisoners. That's just exactly what they are. Some of them have been locked in a solitary confinement for over two years. Would not be convicted of a crime because they would not take the vaccine. Um, I mean, it's like North Korea kind of punishment. Uh, yeah, it's then, almost it's almost unbelievable that that is yeah. happening in this country. And innocent too, you know. Um, so just add that into there. Um, so he also is uh, representing protocol cases, vaccine mandates. You know, any anywhere where he used to defend the government, now he's fighting it because of the corruption. And these agencies have been captured, and um, they need to be broken down and started over, basically. And we need to get the right people in the office to do that. Um, my background is I was a political blogger, but going further back in 1995, I lost a daughter and um, she was killed and the grief almost destroyed me. So when COVID was announced, I panicked. Of course, you know, they had everybody petrified. The, the TV with the ticker going on about the number of deaths in the refrigerated trucks, you know, in New York. And so I threw myself obsessively into research and just started blogging about what I found and what I found early was there was working treatments, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, you know, venestadine, and they were being hidden from us. Um, so I, a couple of my blogs I wrote got taken down and, and they were based on tons of research and, and they weren't even my opinion. They were just basic facts, protocols for different countries across the world that were wiping out their COVID um, problem with $2.65 ivermectin. Um and so one of my blogs found its way up to this former federal prosecutor in New Jersey. And at the time, ironically, he was suing Facebook for censorship of early treatments. So he contacted me and, and just by luck. And I was on the Zoom call with him and people across the world. And we were discussing this case. And then he said, OK, well, I'm going to turn my entire foundation to fight these crimes against humanity regarding the COVID response, because that's exactly what they are. You know, before we did humanitarian projects or he did humanitarian projects across the the world, you know, the foundation was founded in 2016, but as of um, 2020, we are all about 
the crimes against humanity regarding COVID, the hospital protocol, the vaccine mandates, the vaccine injuries, you know, and all this infringement on our rights. So, so I, I got on and threw myself in and I haven't stopped yet. <laughs> two, good two and a half years later. Good for you and thank you. And I do want to talk a little bit about some of those lawsuits. I know this, the details we probably can't get into too much just because we don't have time. But who in like the hospital protocols, who is being sued? The hospital, the doctor, the nurse that gave it, the pharmacist that checked the prescription? Who is being sued in these? Who is going to be held accountable? The Well, I mean, I think they all should be. But, I, I agree. Um, you know, sometimes a doctor would order the, the ivermectin and the pharmacy would block it. You know, since when did pharmacies have, I know y'all are pharmacists, have the rights to turn down doctor's orders um, and, and actually get the right to prescribe stuff themselves. Uh, you know, Paxlovid was approved for pharmacies, pharmacists just to, to prescribe it, which was kind of shocking with no medical history and everything on the patient. Well, but, and the interesting thing about that is, you know, just as pharmacists, I'll comment is that that came down from the FDA, a yeah. federal organization. Well, guess what? The FDA doesn't give out state licenses or give or give um, credentials or responsibility to each licensed individual in each state, whether it be a doctor, whether it be a pharmacist. So how can a blanket protocol from the FDA give pharmacists the ability across all states to prescribe Paxlovid? That alone shocking. spells corruption. Shocking. Absolutely right. shocking. Um, yeah. So we, we, right now, the, the pl- complaints I've seen and the ones that we're working with are mostly hospitals and doctors. But I imagine as this grows, you know, there will be nurses and um, pharmacists involved. You know, we created an amnesty and leniency project so that whistleblowers will come forward and disclose what they know, saw, did, heard. And and when the investigations start, and they're starting, we can advocate for amnesty for them. Because, you know, unless you get this off your, your chest and come clean, you know, we can't help you after that. And everybody, you know, if, if you knew and you're complicit in this, or even if you had, you know, suspected, you know, we've got whistleblowers that come forward and say, we knew remdesivir was killing people. We knew it didn't work from day one. We told the doctors and the doctor's response was, sorry, our hands are tied. This is the protocol. This is the protocol. That didn't yeah. work for the Nazis. It's not going to work for them. No, no, it's not. It's not enough to say you didn't know because most of them did know. You can't not know when you have you know, a hundred people all get remdesivir and all get kidney failure. We've got a thousand people in our, in our database right now. And I'd say 95% got remdesivir and 95% of those got, had kidney failure afterwards. Yeah. And of course, when they died, if they died, um, the, the, the death was lifted, listed as COVID, not oh, death yeah. from remdesivir. Right. And we have a remdesivir class action going against Gilead. That we're trying to, uh, we have a great group of attorneys that have been working on stuff for a couple of years, but we're trying to fundraise for it because, of course, going up against big pharma is is not going to be cheap. But, you know, we're, we're fundraising heavily for that. Um, but they're willing to, we think we found a way around the PREP Act by going after false advertisement instead of actually saying what it did, but saying advertising it did something it did not. And, you know, they're still, they're still using it. In fact, They just approved it for people with kidney failure when it causes kidney failure, which is baffling. But the hospitals are highly incentivized financially to use this protocol. I think the average per um, 
across the country per person is $266,000 a patient. If they have, if they write down that they came in for COVID, they get remdesivir, they're put on a ventilator and their death certificate says COVID. Wow. Janet, what kind of comments do you have for CC or questions? Well, (laughs) first of all, I'm like, we don't have enough cells. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's very interesting that we have to go around, you know, around when it should be very straightforward that, you know, something that has this type of side effect shouldn't even be out there or even given. I mean, you would think in normal times that product would have been pulled from the market, let alone being told to an institution that, they become the prescriber and tell the doctor what to prescribe and how, and then the outcome is death. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I think we're living in just an unbelievable time. Um, I mean, that's kind of my comments, but you know, when we're talking about whistleblowers, you know, there's many out there on all ends and how are they coming to you? Are you, you just are putting it out on social media or how, how are you getting this to people so they feel comfortable and are actually coming forward? Um, a lot of word of mouth, actually. I mean, people email me and say, hey, I'm a whistleblower. I know some things and we'll, you know, do a in private interview and protect them as much as they want. Some are ready to say, put my name out there. I don't care. You know, I, I'll testify. This has got to stop. You know, you know, moral courage has been lacking in this movement. especially with doctors and attorneys and they really need to find some because, you know, we are at a critical time in in our country. And, you know, when we're prescribing things that we know is deadly, you know, remdesivir was deadly in the previous studies they did with Ebola killed 53% of the patients and they had to pull it early from the study. The EUA that there's the patients are supposed to see that the provider is supposed to show you the EUA that shows all the side effects clearly says kidney damage or kidney injury and now they improved it for somebody already with kidney injury so there's a there's an ulterior agenda here i think it's not too um too much of a secret anymore they're not even trying to to hide it i mean we have doctors saying you know i wouldn't give this to my child but this is what we have to our hands are tied and it's it's unbelievable you know the doctors will flat out say i'm taking ivermectin but we can't give it to you yeah, and I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's acceptable. That's an acceptable excuse. Um, you know, doctors are really the ones that should control healthcare. Um, you know, not hospital administrators, and definitely not the FDA or the state boards of medicine. Um, and I think for them to just roll over and and play like they have no, like they have no power in the game is is a cop out, and they're necessary to the crime. I. Absolutely. You know, but most of them will say, well, we have to think about our paycheck. I mean, they, those words literally come out of their mouth and, hmm. and, and they're threatened with their license. And, you know, we have some that'll talk in code to their patients, you know, to tell them not to take it. But, you know, when it's, you're talking about someone's life, you know, sometimes it's, it's sorry about your paycheck. You know, this is, would you rather have this on your conscience that you helped assist in murdering somebody? I mean, the people, I mean, Dr. T- uh, Sherry Tenpenny just got her license revoked. Anybody that's speaking out, I mean, this is why we have to raise awareness with the general public because we have to get the public behind this, behind us. You know, our founder always says they may have the money and the power, but we have the people. And when right. the people rise up, we can fight back and we can demand accountability. We can demand um, that these doctors are protected. You know, a lot of, um, of our cases now are, have, um, 
practicing medicine without a license on, on the complaint because they're saying, well, the doctor said my hands are tied and they're listening to the hospital administration. Mm-hmm. Well, the hospital administrators yes. aren't doctors. So, mm-hmm. so the, the attorneys that are working with us, we have some really great ones. Not enough. We need more. But they're getting really creative and they're not even filing med mal. They're filing under constructive fraud because the doctor, the fiduciary is not disclosing what they're doing to the patient. And they have a right. We have a right to know what's going in our body. So help me out. Uh, early on in this government-created pandemic, uh, I was meeting, Janet and I were meeting with a doctor friend of ours, and he couldn't believe how, he, he understood why the doctors were so quiet, because, you know, he was a he, kind of retired on the twilight of his career, but he understood why the doctors were, were shutting up, because the hospitals owned him. He got that. Yeah. He understood that part. But he said, Sean, he goes, you know, he said, Somehow, some way, they've got attorneys, you know, they're, they're hushing attorneys up, that, you know, and I thought about that. And I'm like, well, how would they do that? So I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot by asking you the question, but you kind of alluded to it early on in, in our discussion that, you know, attorneys were quiet about coming forward. Now, usually they're the ones that speak the loudest. Can you, can you comment on that? Attorneys or doctors? On, on, on attorneys. I understand the doctor part because I'm in medicine. Yeah, but, um, the attorneys... How- you know, like I said, we do have some, but this is uncharted territory. You know, we've got the PrEP Act that that um, gives pretty much blanket immunity to anybody that, you know, touched a COVID patient. But we are finding ways around it. And, you know, they're, they're, they don't want to fight something that they're, they're not sure that they have a chance to win, which, again, lacking in moral courage. Um, we have um, two godly attorneys. Uh, they started an organization called Declared Truth. Uh, Dan Watkins and Michael Hamilton, and they are taking cases all over the country just because it's the right thing to do. We have to try. You know, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be. You know, Matthew Tyson in California has taken probably 60 of our cases. He doesn't, we don't know because we've never been in this position, but he knows that this is what we have to do. We have to try and fight it. And three of those cases have gotten past the prep bag immunity. You know, we haven't had a, a bad decision really yet. No case I know has been thrown out. You know, the Grace Shara case, Warner Mendenhall's representing, they got past prep. You know, so there is ways around it. And I think as more and more um, cases move forward, more and more attorneys will come forward. But again, they're like, we we need the money and we can't just, you know, chance our career on something that we don't know the result for. That's why it's so important that the public get behind us and um, hope and pray for just judges. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one of the, been one of the issues in Washington State. And every time a, yeah. a lawsuit would come up during COVID, is there would be some kind of legal legal argument or something that the jurisdiction wasn't the right one, or you know they had you know there was always these legal arguments, and um, the judge would just throw it out. And yeah. we just need because I I do think that it's pretty clear to me that in a lot of these cases, I, I I'm not speaking in in the details of all of them, but in a lot of the cases. I think that, you know, you know, people's rights, their constitutional rights were violated. And so if it went all the way to the Supreme Court, I think it's a pretty much a no brainer about what would happen. But that just takes time and, and a process. Yeah. In fact, um, our founder, Bry Geyer and Tom Renz, I'm sure you've heard of him, um, have just um, written an amicus brief that we're filing to the Supreme Court on behalf of all these victims. Um, so they will know who we are 
now. And I think that a lot of people don't even know that this is happening. I mean, people that don't watch the news and they're just kind of got their heads stuck in the sand. But the Supreme Court now is going to say, wait, who's these thousand people that lost someone in a hospital? Maybe that's what happened to my Aunt Karen. You know, they're just at least they're going to know who we are and what has happened. And, you know, our list grows every day. We have a team of great interviewers. When we when we do a story, we do a written account of what happened to the victim in the hospital, all the details of the case, and a vi live video testimony. And we bundle it up really nice into a file folder. It's on our CHBMP website. It can be sorted by, by state, by date. And then I can send those files to attorneys when I find them so they can look at those cases and see about picking them up. Wow. Janet, what, what, else, what do you have to, to Well, so you're right. There, there are more people out there that haven't reached and, and, and don't even know what to do other than just being upset. Um, because during the process, you know, I had clients that would call and, and they were sick and they were just told stay at home, but they were afraid. And I was just like, well, drive to a different state, especially here, you know, get somebody to get you out of here. Um, so, there has to be um, a way for them to get a hold of you. And I'm sure that that is probably something that will happen as, as more and more people can get the word out. So how do they get a hold of you? What, what's the process? They can go to see if they have a story, um, a hospital protocol or a vaccine injured story, even survivors. If you got remdesivir, anybody um, go to chbmp.org. There's a form you can fill out. And um, after you fill that out, it'll lead you to a time and a date to pick an interview time so we can get the live testimony. We need to get these stories on the record regardless. We need to preserve the historical record. So this never happens again. We can look back and see what happened to these people. You know, they need to be honored. They need to be remembered because they were technically they're, they're victims and tragedies of war. We're in a war right now against um this evil regime that's, you know, handing down these protocols and this, in my opinion, a depopulation effort. And we need to remember these people. I mean, some of these people were 18 years old, 12 years old, 28 years old. You know, we did, we ran some stats on our data the other day and over half were 50, a male and un, under 55, over half of the victims. And then we're not talking about all 80 and 90 year olds and even the older people, they were still playing golf three days a week. They had a lot of life live, to live. Um, another way that we are raising awareness is we have, I, have it, I don't know if you can see it, it's, uh, it's a medical alert bracelet. I've not taken mine off in six months. It looks brand new. It's stainless steel. But it says, I'm allergic to remdesivir, barcinonim, and fentanyl. So this is a legal medical directive. If I go right. to a hospital, they cannot give me this. This takes away their immunity. So, and it saved many lives. We've, I get calls all the time. Like I wore my bracelet in and they immediately wrote in my chart that I couldn't have this. If everybody in the country had one of these bracelets on, there will be no <laughs> protocol anymore. We also have, um, and you can get those on our website. We also have these car magnets and um, COVID hospital death may not be from COVID. So that's going to, if you lost somebody in the hospital, that could make you think, hmm, what's this all about? You know, just raises curiosity and then they can contact us. We have billboards up that say the same thing. In fact, yesterday we had an airplane fly by over Jersey shores that said the same thing, um, pulling a tail. So we're doing whatever we can to, to reach the people because we've notified the healthcare agency, especially with our, with our vaccine project. We've told the FDA and the CDC, Hey, these are dangerous and they don't listen. They're contaminated and they don't listen. 
So we started the We the People 50 project where we're taking it to the people and the state AGs of each state based on the contamination alone. They should be recalled. Absolutely. And as a pharmacist, um, I will tell you, learning about, you know, the variations from lot to lot, batch to batch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, seriously, if, if we can't trust that as pharmacists, then, right. then what can we trust from them? I mean, right. seriously, that's just a rational question. And we've learned from the recent science of Kevin McKiernan's, he's a genomist, that they're contaminated with the plasmids. I won't get too scientific, but the plasmids are DNA plasmids that are used to make the shots because they're grown in big vats of bacteria. Well, that's supposed to be purified before the shot's even made. And they're contaminated with up to 20 to 35 percent of the shot itself is contaminated with these DNA plasmids. So based on contaminant, you can be a a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. But are you if you're pro-vax, are you pro-contaminated vax? Nobody, right. nobody yeah. wants contaminants in their in their medical products. Right. No, you want what it says on the label. It is. I mean, and that's the more. whole right. <laughs> that's the whole purpose of having some of these regulations is that when you pull up an injection, you are giving exactly what is in that vial and not anything more or less. They they even left. Uh, there's an SV40 promoter in that plasmid, which is a um, oncogenic cancer promoter. There's no reason it should be in there. In fact, when they presented the plasmid map to the to the CDC and the FDA, that was left off, ironically. Um, and it also carries two antibiotic resistance genes, so it can make people uh, resistant to neomycin and canamycin. And if this doesn't paint the whole picture for you, the surge at the southern border, the number one disease coming across the borders, is tuberculosis, where you treat tuberculosis with canamycin. So now we've got a whole population of people that are resistant to canamycin. Yeah, and and this then you got to ask. Yeah. <laughs> then you got to ask yourself: Is it by accident or is it purposeful? No. I mean, seriously, that's what you have to ask yourself. Well, you're right. A little bit of contamination, accident. Up to thirty-five yeah. percent, not accident. Yeah, prob- probably not. So I gotta right, let's back up a little bit. You uh-huh. use you use a really really powerful term. I'm going to put you in the spot. Okay, you use the term murder. Oh yeah. Okay, and so has any, and and I got to tell you, I you know I'm not a legal expert by any means, but if what we're talking about is if people knew about it, and there's a lot of evidence that people at the top did know about how dangerous the vaccines were, how dangerous from Disavir is. So, has there been any attorneys that you know of in your guys's group or following that has actually charged somebody with murder, and who do you charge? Well, that would be, you know, fall under a government entity, you know, um, to bring criminal charges. And there are some attorneys that are working on that. Stan Graham and David Martin, Dr. David Martin, were working on criminal charges. Um, you know, our with our attorneys, they have to be civil complaints, but they, it, it is murder. And we hope at the end of the day that we can have Nuremberg, too. I mean, we, we need crimes against humanity. Our rally is called Halt Hospital Homicide. Um the attorneys that we work with say it's murder. It is. The, the doctors tell them they're going to be, they're going to die over and over. You know, that we had one case in Louisiana where they scheduled his death for Saturday. And the patient kept saying, is my execution still scheduled for Saturday? And they say, yep, keep walking. I mean, the, the stories, if you go and watch the stories of the videos on CHBMP, it is, it's absolutely it's unbelievable. Like you would never think this kind of stuff would happen on American soil. It's, you know, people walk in fine. They just need an antibiotic, maybe some a steroid. 
and they ask if they're vaccinated and the patient will say no and they'll pat them on the hand and say, I'm sorry, you're going to die. And then they attempt to kill them. And we've had hospital escapes with six hour standoff with police, you know, all this on video. I mean, people wouldn't believe it. If it, uh, it is in, in our, yeah, in the United States. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, here's what's interesting on the same, on the same subject, but kind of um, on a different take from it is I was talking to a gal that tragically lost her 34 year old healthy son, um, you know, like a week after she got back, like a week after he got vaccinated. And he was in Washington State in, in on, on the west side in Seattle, somewhere near Seattle. And he had a dissecting aortic aneurysm. So his death was almost instant at home. The EMTs tried to revive him, but they couldn't. But I think they pronounced him dead at the hospital. But one of the first questions that the ER doctor asked was, was he vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Which really makes you, that wasn't the first time that doctor asked that question. That wasn't the first time that doctor had seen some nasty, nasty side effects from these vaccines. He's an ER doctor. This is what he's seen, and this is the question he asks. Think about that. Oh, yeah. Now, why is that not all over the press? That ER doctors, one of the first questions they ask when somebody dies like this, kind of suddenly, that's the first question they ask. It's like ER doctors are asking that. This is not some crazy conspiracy layperson mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, people are dying suddenly. We got to look into it. Dr. McCullough just testified in the Arizona state legislator that um, the latest estimate is 600,000 Americans have died from the COVID job. Ryan Cole, and I quote, said the COVID-19 vaccine is the most dangerous uh, medical medication that's ever been rolled out on humanity. I mean, these are very highly respected, smart pathologists, nuclear cardiologists, um, doctors that are begging the government and these agencies to pull these shots. They are deadly. They are toxic. We have 4,400 in our vaccine injured support group led by Kat Parker, who was a healthy, vibrant 50 year old woman, ex-police officer, concert photographer. Now she's got 32 debilitating illnesses and symptoms that she lives with every day. Um, 4,400 in that group, 20 have killed themselves in the last three months. These people's lives are destroyed. And they, and all because they trusted the government, they trusted their doctors, which the doctors are paid for every vaccinated patient they have, they get a bonus. Um, So, you know, you can see why that shouldn't be. I mean, that's just corruption right there, but um, it depends on the patient, the patient, you know, medical history. And first of all, they shouldn't get this one at all, but you don't just blanket paid people to take something, you know, without knowing each individual's circumstances. But the uh, the death and the injury from the vaccines is debilitated. And all the people that were killed in the hospital with remdesivir were because they were not vaxxed and they were discriminated against. And we've got many cases that where the doctors, the first question out of their mouth is, are you vaccinated? If they say no, they get the remdesivir protocol. If they say yes, they get the ivermectin protocol and they're on their way home. They have to keep up the narrative that it's the, the pandemic of the unvaccinated when it's the pandemic of you're killing the unvaccinated. Because everybody that's vaccinated gets COVID all the time. I was never vaccinated. I had once for, you know, three hours in 2020. And here I am walking around with my immune system doing just fine. Right, right. Well, and in in Washington State, the crazy thing is, is the Washington State is Department of Health is still promoting heavily 
getting vaccine, getting the COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant women. I mean, unreal after the side effects we hear about that, that, you know, as pharmacists, we're taught to never, unless it's proven, studied thoroughly, you know, you don't, you don't give drugs to a pregnant woman. Or a child or a pilot when it's had been tested. You know, right. the, the Pfizer's own data showed that the efficacy for the Pfizer jab on children is less than 4%. And children have a 99.997% survival rate right. on COVID. Why even take that risk? Right. I mean, yeah. it, it makes zero sense. And pilots, they're supposed to not even take a drug until it's been years on the market and long-term effects have been shown. But they're mandating it. And, and pilots are dropping dead and having heart attacks on the runway or in the air, you know, uh, Bob Snow, Captain Bob Snow, you know, thank God there was emergency crew on, on the on the runway, but he right when he landed the plane, Dean went down and it was from the vaccine. And very lucky that it wasn't up in the air when people are flying, but we hear that all the time. I get I've interviewed several pilots, several air traffic controllers saying they're not even telling, you know, the companies that they're injured because they're afraid of losing their job. That's very scary for the rest of us that are in the air with them. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's scary times indeed. Um, but scary times like this does create opportunity. And, you know, you and I are talking about this and would have never met before if it wasn't for these times. So right. I think people are really – the one thing that has happened is I think there's a lot of these systems – that have that were already evil in the first place, yeah. um, whether it be some of the healthcare systems or whether it be some of the the f- federal agencies, um, they're being exposed and people are opening their eyes. So that's that's where the opportunity is created as long as people start speaking up, and that is happening. So I appreciate you speaking up and um, you know spreading the word of of liberty and medical freedom. Very very important. I agree. They have overplayed their hand and. Um, I think that we are, people are waking up and the more of us that come out and out and speak out, you know, don't worry about being called a tinfoil hat wearer, a conspiracy theory, you're saving lives and you just have to just read the data, read the research and don't go on Google and read the first four websites that pop up when you investigate something. There's other, there's other browsers that aren't censored and, and have the truth or you can read the studies or email me and I'll send you all the evidence you need. But yeah, we have, we have to come together and, and get the word out. And, and continue to fight, encourage attorneys to come forward and doctors to speak out and just, just everyday people, you know, just volunteers, all of our organizations need volunteers. There's lots of us. and We stand with all of them. Absolutely. So Cece, as we wrap this podcast up, um, what do you have a passion for? Getting justice for my victims. I love it. I love it. Justice. I love that. And if, one more time, if uh, anybody wants to get a hold of you or share a story, what's the best way to do that? chbmp.org, or you can email me at carolyn.blakeman at formerfedsgroup.org. Awesome. I so appreciate you. And hang on the line as we wrap this podcast up, because I want to chat with you after, after the podcast. Sure. Thanks. You're welcome. So listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carolyn, for being on our show today and helping to realize our goal, which is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. You don't want to miss out Thursday, our regularly scheduled midweek podcast, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Joel Evans, he's been on our podcast before. He's going to be discussing how um, first responders, because he was formerly a first responder, um, 
police officer and he in San Francisco and he refused to take the vaccine. So he is sharing his story and he is sharing his story with other first responders and teaching them how to be good fathers. So you don't want to miss out 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time Thursday. Um, as always, thank you listeners and viewers for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.